Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So somewhat paradoxically, as more information comes to light uh, about Faisal Hussein, the gunman uh, who shot uh, over a dozen people, killing two in the streets of Toronto Sunday night, uh, we seem to have a more muddied picture about what exactly was going on with this guy. And I don't know if that's going to clear up anytime soon. And perhaps we're headed to an eventuality here where we don't have a full and complete picture of what was going on with this guy. Obviously, in the past couple of days, we've learned his name. We've learned more about his background. Now the family has released a picture of him. Uh, So if nothing else, I suppose that helps put to rest a lot of the phony photos and videos that are out there claiming to be of this guy. But why did he do this? What was going on in his mind? Was he dealing with some sort of uh, mental illness, some kind of internal demons? Was he uh, ascribed to the uh, ideology of the Islamic State or other uh, Islamic radicals? At this point, we don't know. Now, we do have via police sources uh, to Global News uh, further indication that there were some issues with this guy. That a police source told Global News uh, that he had twice... Faisal Hussein, twice been apprehended by Toronto police under the Mental Health Act. And and that would seem to jibe with uh, the statement from the family that this uh, individual had been dealing with severe mental health challenges. Now, the other bit of news we've got today, though, is that the so-called Islamic State has put out a statement claiming responsibility for the Toronto shooting saying that the attacker was a soldier who was responding to calls to target citizens of coalition countries. So clearly the Islamic State sees Canada as a target. Clearly the Islamic State wants its followers to target Canadian citizens. But do we have any evidence to back up their claim around this individual? Now, police are saying that that there isn't. That may, may emerge at some point. Joining us for more is Stuart Bell, National Investigative Journalist with Global News, globalnews.ca. Stuart, thanks for joining us here today. Hi, Rob. Uh, so the, the statement from the Islamic State, from ISIS, it, it comes from a, a known ISIS channel. So at least we can say that the, the statement is, is genuine. That's right. Yeah, it comes from Amak, which is the main uh, propaganda wing of ISIS. And the, the wording in the statement, to, to refer to him as a soldier, but to say that he was someone responding to calls to target coalition countries, I, I suppose that's significant, isn't it? Well, that's a common uh, phraseology that's been used repeatedly by Amak and ISIS for attacks that they didn't necessarily direct, but that were they believe were inspired by them or were carried out by, um, by attackers who... Uh, you know, were were had a, basically had pledged allegiance to ISIS, and were acting on behalf of ISIS. So, it's a well-known, um, often repeated claim that they've uh, used again and again. But 
there's a there's a lot of reason to be doubtful about it. Um, you'll notice that it didn't come out until today, which is three days, almost three days after the attack, after the name had already been released. So it was a pretty good chance they're simply playing off. Uh, they're just simply, you know, taking material out of media reports and trying to sow uh, you know, division and things like that by making a claim of responsibility. There's also, you know, we know from the history of these claims that actually initially in, in the early days of ISIS, they were pretty credible. They used to really only claim attacks that they were involved in or where the attacker had, uh, you know, had had made some kind of uh, statement um, that they were doing this for for the ISIS cause. But that's really changed in the last little bit since ISIS has started to collapse in Syria and Iraq. They've kind of changed their strategy where they're now just claiming everything, uh, hoping that that in itself will will cause some kind of damage or or problems within countries like Canada in this case. You know, they claim the Las Vegas shooting, for example, right. which clearly they had nothing to do with. Well, and, and we'd seen in the past as well where adherence to ISIS and people who were doing this uh, because of their allegiance to the group would, would go out of their way to make that allegiance known, to pledge their allegiance to, to the leader uh, of ISIS, which was seen as something significant. So at this point, we don't have any of that, do we? We don't have any indication that, that uh, this this guy had pledged his allegiance to ISIS or any indication that there had been any contact at all with ISIS. Well, not that we know of, not that yeah. it's been made public. Um, but it is uh, another thing to keep in mind is, uh, you know, typically in these types of attacks, while the attack is taking place, the attacker is making, is saying things that, or has visibly... Uh, is you know carrying things like a flag or something like that, which right. which gives away the cause, or they're they're making statements that uh, about why they're doing it. In this case, the witnesses that we've spoken to have all been consistent in that the only things he was saying were you know sort of swearing at people and and making uh, you know I think the comment was f you all things like that that had really you know, it's nothing in common with what you would expect from an attack of that kind. So that's another reason why it's difficult in this case to pin it on, on that type of motive. But as you say, I mean, we can't close the door on it, and, and maybe it's possible that that ISIS, for some, somehow that this guy was on their radar, that they sought him out, that they started to put these ideas in his head. We may learn more about that, and you know, as we alluded to earlier, I mean, there's there's the possibility that there is a mental health component here, and maybe that makes these kinds of individuals perhaps more vulnerable to that that sort of propaganda. And, and obviously, these things aren't mutually exclusive, are they? No, I mean, that's entirely possible that he's somebody with a troubled mental history who may have uh, stumbled across. Uh, things online that may have been ISIS, it may have been something else, who knows. Um, I mean, mental health uh, in itself is not an explanation for terrorist violence or, or you know, a mass killing of some kind, sure. uh, of the kind that we saw. Obviously, it's got to be mental health plus something else. The, the mental struggles he was going through would have made him susceptible to uh, to believing or falling into sort of a fantasy life that that could have led him to that. So that's the that's the unknown is what um, combined with his mental health issues 
drove him to that. And it may well have been ISIS ideology online. We don't have any proof of that. It may have been something else, but um, we just don't know at this point. And um, the police are continuing to say, as they said in the past, there is no national security link to this case at the moment. It's still a Toronto police-led investigation. The RCMP are not involved, which means it's not considered to be national security or counterterrorism at this point. Um, and the Toronto police are saying that as well, that they have nothing to to link this to a broader uh, security type of issue. Right. And and we have every reason to believe that the law enforcement intelligence agencies, they take this thing very seriously. If there's some indication of, of a connection, they're going to pursue that. There's There seems to be a notion out there, maybe the police are going to turn a blind eye to this because of political concerns. But uh, from your experience, that, that just seems like a silly notion, doesn't it? Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, they they would be from the from the outset looking at every possible angle, uh, even just to, so to exclude the things that they don't don't need to pursue. Um, we know the RCMP and CIS has both immediately offered assistance, and uh, I'm sure would have, you know be available to do whatever uh, is necessary to try and trace this. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just you know my take on it really from speaking to people of the past few days is that um, I think the police are still really struggling to try and figure out um, exactly why this person did this. Uh, And they're even raising the possibility that we may never know. Uh, This is not uncommon when you have uh, acts of violence committed by people who who have mental difficulties um, that trying to pinpoint what made them do something is not easy and not always even possible when the person is gone. Well, something to keep in mind in the days ahead. Uh, much more globalnews.ca. Stuart, appreciate the update here. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, so it is an interesting development that ISIS has claimed responsibility for this. Again, there's no indication at this point that there was a connection. Uh, maybe they want to latch on to this to give themselves some relevance. Maybe they just like the idea of dead and wounded Canadians and, and want to, to celebrate that or claim this guy after the fact somehow, right? And again, I mean, you, you can read some significance into the fact that, that ISIS believes that Canada is a target and Canadians should be targeted, right? We shouldn't be blasé about the threat that this group poses, although they've certainly been on the run for the last few years or last couple of years anyway. But they're still out there and there's still a potential threat. So even if this guy has nothing at all to do with ISIS, never did, right? it doesn't mean that, that we can say, oh, okay, well, there you go, ISIS is no big deal. Right? Clearly, by latching onto this, they're, they're expressing their disdain for this country and their belief that, that we should be targeted and that they want their followers to do that. There's a takeaway there. But again, like Stuart Bell said, this is an avenue that is being actively investigated, and it's ridiculous to think otherwise. If there's any indication that this guy had some sort of connection to ISIS, or at least had expressed support for ISIS or its ideology, that that's going to be pursued, and that's not going to be swept under the rug. Right? That would be negligence of the highest order uh, on the part of these agencies. So to, to think that that would be going on is, is quite a conspiracy theory indeed. Like Stewart says, we may get to uh, you know, a brick wall in all of this, so we may never know what was going on with this guy.
Now, there are things to be watching for and certainly things that law enforcement should be watching for. Uh, Rugmini Kalamaki, who covers these matters uh, for The New York Times, had a really interesting uh, thread on all of this today on Twitter. And here's something very specific that she notes. She says, as a reporter studying this attack, what I want to know is did, what did police find on his phone and on his laptop? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean ISIS videos or propaganda. But for example, did he have Telegram, which is an app and is the preferred messaging app of ISIS? So if that app was on his phone or or one of his devices, that might be a, a tantalizing clue. Who, if anyone, was he talking to? Is there evidence of him consuming ISIS propaganda? And she makes another interesting point here. The shooter's family has come out and said that he was mentally ill. And now we've got some police sources coming out and saying the same thing. She says, unfortunately, we know that ISIS pushes its propaganda to people who are mentally vulnerable. And mental illness is not a barrier to being indoctrinated by them. And we have examples of this. So the two are not mutually exclusive. And for whatever reason, we seem to have fallen into a narrative where it has to be one or the other. That there's, there seems to be this kind of visceral pushback, those who, who insist that he must be a jihadist. So any, any kind of talk about any kind of mental illness is, is just a, a distraction from, from that. Or it must not be true. I guess it's easier to, to have a, a, a villain, to have an enemy, to have a clearly defined enemy. And that these people are of clear mind and purpose. And that purpose is to kill and destroy us. I guess that's a more convenient narrative. But unfortunately, the reality is often much murkier. But it seems likely at this point that this guy was dealing with some kind of mental illness, some kind of issues. It's also possible that he somehow found his way into ISIS propaganda. Again, the two are not mutually exclusive. So a lot of people making a big deal about the fact that the statement released by the family emphasize this mental health aspects and also that it was apparently crafted with the assistance of someone who's involved in a national Muslim organization, which seems like an odd thing to get hung up on. I think any family in any kind of situation like this would seek help in crafting a statement that's going to be provided to the media and parsed over by literally millions of people. Right? Unless we're going to suggest that there was something untrue in the statement, I don't know that it's really relevant that they sought out help or from whom they received help. All right, 974-8255. We've got to take a break here. We'll come back. We'll talk a bit more about this aspect of the story. Of course, is the other aspect of this story that involves guns and Toronto City Council yesterday and what is clearly a, a symbolic knee-jerk reaction to all of this, voting to essentially ban guns, handguns in Toronto, which is obviously not something they can do and, and clearly not something that, that I think is going to make an iota of difference. We live in a country where it's, it's difficult to obtain a handgun. And that handgun owners are, are very heavily regulated. And the vast majority of crimes involving handguns in Canada involve those who are not supposed to have them in the first place. There is no indication at this point and really very little reason to believe it would even be possible for this guy to have obtained a handgun legally. And unless you can point to that, to, to then target the legal ownership of handguns just seems to be completely missing the point. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.